Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Going back to where I came from. So far away but not so far from home. Where I lay my head down by the sea. Hey everybody, today's guest is Jason DeVore, lead vocalist for the Mesa, Arizona punk rock band, Authority Zero. Together we take a deep dive into the writing, recording, and inspiration behind their fan-favorite hit, One More Minute, taken from their 2002 debut album, A Passage in Time. Jason and I go way back, over 20 years, and it's always great to catch up with him. I mentioned to him that it's so cool that One More Minute is one of the band's biggest songs to date given that it's from their very first album. A lot of bands take a second to find their footing, but such was not the case here. Jason said the song was about half written when one of his bandmates booked a string of shows just over the border in Mexico, where the song truly came alive. The track sounds awesome, and no small part to producer Dave Jordan, who has worked with heavyweights such as the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Social Distortion, and Talking Heads. Jason said that working with Dave was one of the coolest experiences he's ever had, and it was an amazing learning experience for everybody in the band. So for all this and a discussion on how to best treat Ringworm, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Jason DeVore, what's going on? What's up, Chris? How you doing, man? <laughs> doing well. I got to think of this morning before we were set to talk that I've known you for like 20 years. <laughs> it's been 20 years, man. I can't even believe it, honestly. And I, but I, the thing is funnier even so more so is that I've known you even longer, but just as a musician. Right. And, and so, I mean, it's, it's pretty wild that the history and the trip that this has all been, man, to be honest with you. Well, and it's crazy, too, because I went back. Of course, I, I researched these episodes, but you, know, you guys formed in 94. We did. But you didn't release your debut record till 2002. And, and that's interesting because that gave you, you know, about seven or eight years to be out i'm sure you were just doing the, the backyard party circuit and then you started playing the bars and the clubs and it and it went from there interesting though um was there any i'm sure there was demos or or, or things before that but uh, did you release anything prior to the major label record we did yeah like you say we, we were super young when we started we were i was 14 years old when this band got together we decided to <laughs> try and figure something out and do something you know yeah a lot of those aspiring kids and the, the dream of it all but it, it was kind of just a random idea to even do it. I was more into skateboarding than I was into, I mean, music came with skateboarding. I, my, my goal was to be a pro skater when I grew up. That was like my dream to do that. And so punk rock music and things like that um, all came with that. And when my buddy Bill asked me to be a singer in the band, I was like, I didn't start a band. I was like, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, no big deal. So we did that. And um, from there, like you said, we just started playing a bunch of house parties. We Really, the reason it took a long time, too, on top of it was we were just learning how to play instruments, how to sing, what we're even doing, you know, like what even we sounded like as a band, which was really nothing. We were just kind of all across the board, and it was like, 
elements of funk, uh, grunge back then even, you know, like some Stone Temple Pilots, some Nirvana, stuff like that. So again, like I said, we were playing the house party circuits. We did all the demo tapes. We did all that. We, you know, remember recording them ourselves and putting the labels on top of them and just passing them out to wherever we could get a chance to pass them out at schools and, uh, you know, making all the homemade flyers at Kinko's, you know, shit like that. So it was really a, a lot of that going on. So we had, uh, you know, the demo CD we did, a thing called Live Your Life, which was our very first album, if you want to call it that. Um, we borrowed 2000 bucks from our guitar player, Bill Marks' mom and dad, and went to uh, what's a studio called in Mesa. Blue, blue something, but we went in there for two days straight, recorded like eight songs, um, did all the vocals like the second day kind of thing, and put that out. And uh, then we went from there to do a pat uh, Patches in Time, which was fragments of what would soon be our full-length album, A Passage in Time, in 2001. And that would con contrive about probably about six songs, maybe, um, all of which were on the, the actual album that came out. So uh, we did that locally here again with a radio DJ buddy of ours, Craven Moorhead, uh, Derek Seidensticker, and... Um, just put that out, and it started getting some cool play on the radio locally because he worked with the radio station here, uh, The Edge. You probably know The Edge from back in the sure, day. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he did the Scott Punk show, which I'm sure you also know. Uh, every Sunday, he'd do a one band locally called The Backyard Bullocks, and I went down there time and again just dropping the CD off to him over and again calling him. And he finally played it, and uh, he was kind of into it, and then we became buddies, and he passed it on to the higher-ups at the real station, and then they started spinning one of our better recording songs that he did. And that's when things kind of started really coming to life as a, a band for us into the next level of things, I guess. Well, thanks for giving me that rundown, because I was going to ask you how that transpired, because it was, it was, it's kind of interesting to me here, because I look back, you know, when I asked you about what song you think we, you know, we should do, and a lot mm -hmm. of times I don't leave that up to the guest. I'll, you know, Chris and I will research it, how many Spotify plays, you know, and sometimes you just go in just knowing this is their, this is the band's big song. I was really surprised, though, because, you know, your debut album, A Passage in Time, was released September 10, 2002 on Lava Records, which was a subsidiary of Atlantic, and I had right. completely forgotten you guys were a major label band you always seemed like you were were an indie band that uh got about as big as you could get on the indie level you know sure. and uh how did you become to the attention of atlantic was that due to that radio play and and some of that precisely actually yeah, i was because when we recorded those songs again at my buddy derek uh, derek's house it was the first debut of these new songs i'm talking about um that showed the light of day and they were just better written songs well put together better recordings and again, he passed them on to our friend Nancy Stevens, who was the uh, program director at the Edge 103.9, 106.3, back in the day, 100.3. And um, she really liked uh, one of our songs called Sky's the Limit. And it was more of a punk rock, pop punk kind of song with more of a big open chorus, kind of like the drop halftime thing. That got some love. They got a lot of love on the radio station, and people were calling in and like, "Who's this new band? Uh, what's going on with these guys?" And from there, we released a song called "One More Minute," which is the exact polar opposite sonically as a song. It's more of a reggae kind of rock kind of vibe thing. It's which is interesting for us because we don't have a whole lot of that in our grand scheme of things. But it was the one that we started playing, and that got a lot of attention, and so much attention that. Again, we got consistent airplay that just kept on growing and growing here locally. And then obviously, you know, record labels, they have the charts they look at, like to keep an eye on things, what's the next big thing or whatever the case. Sure. They saw our name popping up that's not a signed band that's getting ass loads of radio play locally, but just in this one town. And so they're like, well, what is this band all about? So 
they got interest. They contacted our management. They wanted to fly out and see us perform. So they did. And right around then is when crowds started coming out because of the radio play a lot more than just the small underground punk club shows, you know. And so this was a whole new world for us, and it was all happening so fast. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it had to be so exciting. I mean, I look back, you know, our, our first two records, if we didn't play anything from them now, no one's really going to care. There was just such this evolution. And I guess you guys did that before you got the deal, because, you know, I can't even imagine if, if someone told me to come break down a song, I wouldn't do anything off our first record. It's just so primitive and, and uh, you know, just that, those were our first, you know. But this track um, that we're going to talk about today, One More Minute, uh, is, of course, from the Passage in Time album, which was... <laughs> Jealous here, produced by Dave Jordan. Now, how was that? It was a hell of a trip, man, because, you know, Jordan, he'd done, he done the things with, like, Chili Peppers, Social Distortion, a lot of the greats that, you know, have come to be really successful. And in the vein of, you know, the punk, the funk, all of these elements that the band was really stoked on at the time, you know, especially. The thing with it was, back in the, those days, we were really excited to work with, you know, as coming up, obviously, the kids are into the Epitaph, the Fat Records, you know, the, the labels you strive to be on as a, as a kid, listen to bands. Oh, yeah. Fired to be like, so that was your shit. That was where you wanted to go. Yeah, everybody did. And so we threw all we threw all that producer-wise, producers that have done those records, too, at the label. And obviously, they were a major label, so uh, they had different thoughts in mind. So they eyeballed different producers that were in our same blood vein um that we might be super stoked on still but not not the guys we talked about so much but people that had success with uh bands of those elements so he came up and i'd never heard of him personally at the time but i came to learn a lot about him obviously throughout the recording <laughs> process uh, and he's an interesting dude he's a cool cool cat he's so laid back he's like a rolling stone came into the studio and just sat down and just lit up a cigarette and didn't say anything but made magic it was a weird thing dude like Half the time you feel like you're producing the record with his engineer, even though he's like the guy <laughs> that knows the things and he'll chime in and do the the moment of like, yes, that's magical. Do that again kind of thing. But for a minute, you're just like in this ominous area. You're like, is that good? Uh-huh. You know? And is there anything else you want to add? Because like you said, these are primitive songs that we wrote back when we were younger. I mean, like 15, 16 about girlfriends and like your old girlfriend from like five years before that doesn't even, you don't even care about anymore. But we're, I'm recording all these songs. I'm like, are we just that good? Because, <laughs> <laughs> which is not the case, you know. But like, I'm like, I'm like, is there anything I should do different here, Dave? So he was very, he was very picked his spots for where he wanted to make sure that you did things instead of overproducing what you already had and took what you had developed and made and and your talent that you did have at the time. And just tried to make it shine, and then brought his magic to areas that were really necessary. Hey, look, I, I, I say this is a good thing, but most producers that are worth their weight and salt that I've met are, are a little weird. <laughs> yeah, no doubt they've, yeah. they've, dealt with, they've dealt with all of us, man, for years. You yeah. Know, they have to be- well, for everyone listening to Dave Jordan, gosh, he's he's engineered mixed uh, records by Talking Heads, David Byrne, Frank Zappa, Mick Jagger, Rolling Stones, also produced and mixed for Fishbone, uh, Anthrax, The Offspring, Meat Puppets, Social Distortion, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, that's kind of like an amalgamation of everything your band has done. <laughs> it's a big hodgepodge, yeah, and that's exactly what we like. We super got stoked on the idea, and once we went through his catalog as such, like you say, and we're like, okay, this might be the right fit for this whole thing. And uh, in the end, I think it was, you know, it became, it became like a record that we, that doesn't sound like any other record we've done since it's got that timestamp on it, you know, and with his name and everything. And it's 
it's just got something very unique about it. Whatever he did in there, it was really special. Yeah, and when you guys play this song, it's just the the proof is there. The, the The crowd goes nuts. It's one of your signature songs. But as you said, you know, this isn't indicative of of you know your complete sound. You guys kind of have a have a lot going on, and it's funny how uh, the audience, your fans, you never know what's going to resonate and what's going to strike a chord. Absolutely, no, very true. And it's interesting too because when the song came out on radio, it's, it's it was like. It got, because of the local station here, it got a lot of love in Florida, um, just across the entire United States, which blew our minds. We were like, okay, what's going on? And so the big, what was the big station out there? It was like... Um, 97X in Tampa? 97X Tampa, yes. Yeah. They started jamming the hell out of it for us, and we went out and played Extreme Fest, I think it was called, or 97X Fest or something. Yeah, yeah. With, with, with Blindside, and it was like one of our first times out there. And like suddenly we're this seemingly bigger band and we're like we don't know what to do with our hands you know and so we get on stage and we played right after blindside who's a freaking slayer on stage from sweden so we're like oh, yeah. okay this is crazy what are we about to do with our reggae track here you know it's like we gotta really do something special to make it shine and so they gave us a shout out which is really nice of them uh right before we hit the stage so it kind of amped us all up and we just went out and did our thing and i think people were expecting again more of just a reggae kind of band or something and we came out just leaping off speakers like as high as the, the stage and like yeah right in your face you know half the time weren't even on stage and so they were kind of like what the hell is this and uh then we played the song and of course i got the most love and they were like there it is you know and from there you know you see throughout the years you know radio trickles of course and you you throughout the years you find your your core fans you know that are in for the run of all the stuff you're doing and they're really appreciative of the wide array array of uh different sounds you're you're just excited about as a band, and and it's cool how it's led to this many years of you know, those same fans and their kids now, which is crazy too. That's awesome. Well, I, yeah, and I became aware of you guys around this time, you know, because I was living in Tampa back in 2002. Yeah. So this this song was was on the radio, uh, off the debut record, which is awesome. Since then, you know, you guys around that time started landing things like the Warp Tour, and I, you know, I was hearing seeing your name out there playing those shows with you. Of course, we got to tour together in Japan in 2007 absolute blast one of the best times from what i remember of it <laughs> dude yeah you gave me a cut do you remember you chiropracted me in the back in the back green room area <laughs> of course <laughs> that was magical it, yeah. it was my back magical. Hurt. i just i just flew for 16 hours yeah me too ow <laughs> let me hook you up <laughs> well you guys uh you guys have released seven more albums since the debut the latest being ali ali oxen free in 2021 and take us back now do you remember writing one more minute and was it specifically for this record or had this been in demo form kicking around i specifically remember writing this song more than probably any song i've ever written because of the fact that it is so diverse and away from my wheelhouse of like what i was into at the time because basically that was the punk rock kid, the punk skater kid, I guess, in the group. We had Bill, who was more the funk kind of blues guy on the guitar. Jeremy, my bass player, who was more into Metall or Megadeth, Metallica, uh, Typo Negative. And then my drummer, Jim, who was like into thrash, core, crust punk, and like hip-hop. So that was like, Bill thought of this reggae kind of track thing, and I was like, I don't know, dude, that's not, that's not it. You know, I'm like, I'm not feeling this. I don't know, what do you want me to do with this thing? It's like, it's not fast, I can't skate to it. And I was like, if I can't skate to it, it's not a good song kind of thing back in the day. And so I just got creative with it, and we went to Mexico because we live right across the border down by Rocky Point, you know. And so that's where our first out-of-state touring happened was my guitar player, Bill Marks, was a was fluent in Spanish, going to school and college for it at the time, studied abroad in Spain. And so he's, like, just really good at Spanish. So he lined up some gigs at the Viña del Mar down at Rocky Point for us. And it was, like, two weeks of playing. We got paid in free rooms, booze, and food, like meals, three meals a day. Yeah. 
And so but we had to play three times a day, too. So we were like the house band playing our own stuff that nobody knew. So, yeah, but, but at they, that age, sign me up, right? Totally sign me up. Like, we made it. You know, we're, we're, we fucking made it. We're stoked. <laughs> yeah. So we're down there playing these jams and just getting trashed and having a blast, you know, spring break time stuff. And um, down there was when that song came to life for me lyrically because we had had such a good time for like two weeks straight, basically. And we were supposed to go home that one day. Everyone had gone home from Rocky Point. The place was clearing out, all the tourists and stuff. And we were laying on the beach out by the reef, wrecked at the reef. And uh, we bought a case of beer at Pacificos, and, uh, which is specific to that song. Um, and <laughs> yeah. we're already pretty lit up, you know, from just hanging out in the morning, the rollover kind of thing. And so we were sipping on Pacificos that morning, and I'm making sand angels in the, in the sand and all this fun stuff. And just like, you know, it's like, I just want to stay for one more minute. It's like, let's just stay for one more minute, have one more beer, and then we'll cruise back. We'll go back to our shitty jobs and our lives and, like, not this awesome we just experienced, you know. And so right there it kind of clicked. And it was one of those weird, like, okay, that's kind of interesting. So basically that trip, when I was making those angels in the sand, I ended up getting ringworm. Because <laughs> <laughs> so there's, a, there's a magical moment in the song where I'm like, um, from a long day of making angels in the sand, Pacifico in my hand. You know? uh-huh. And people think it's so glorious. Angels in the sand ring around my arm from a long day. He probably got sunburned from a beautiful day in the beach. And I just got freaking ringworm from like being a fool and like sloshing around in some dirty ass sand. So um, threw some jocket spray on that and it went away in a couple of days. But uh, that led to a whole storyline of just experience of what we just experienced down there. And it was a combination of like during the time we started going out to San Diego, which was also just, you know, around the border area. And so it's combined of like the beach of San Diego, the beach of Mexico. And it was just the best times of our lives. And it was like the all-encompassing idea of like, I don't want to leave this feeling. I don't want to, you know, go back to this other grind of the nine to five. I want to be in this band. I want to be a, in a band and this is what I want to do. And uh, just hold on to that for one more minute. And uh, then we had to go back to work. And so that's where that song stemmed from. Yeah, I, I love it. I love when inspiration hits and you don't know when it's going to hit. And if anyone were to tell you if they got uh, in their career where, you know, your band and my band has, you know, 20 plus years of, of doing this. Yeah. And if they told you that they never thought about what you exactly just said of, I want to do this, you know, I don't want this. I don't want this to end. I'm, st- you know, I'm standing on top of the Capitol Records building in, in Hollywood. I got our first album in hand going, I don't want this to go away. Don't leave me, please. Stay here forever. Yeah. This is what I'm made for, kind of thing. If the train leaves the uh, leaves the track, just make, make sure I'm on it. Well, I want to jump into the song, Jason. We're going to do the single version here, which is interesting. I typically will pick the album version. The album version goes on for about another two and a half minutes from this, about two minutes from the single version. And it really, you know, to, to break all of that down would have been, uh, I just didn't feel it was needed. I felt like the single version is the song. That's the one that uh, that I'm familiar with. Uh, it's four minutes and 27 seconds, a 16 bar intro, the first eight bars. It's just your vocal and a flamenco sounding guitar. Like I think sounds like nylon strings on there. And there's like a, crackling of a vinyl record running just underneath uh, the music there. The vocal has that old radio quality to it, a bit distant uh, and distorted. Going back to where I came from So far away but not so far from home Where I lay my head down by the sea Going back to where we go 
far away but not so far from home Where I'd rest, where I'd lay so peacefully Do you remember this this intro? Was it like this uh, on the demo? Was this kind of how you had seen it? It was. It was the way we did it on the demo. It's, it's kind of it's kind of one of the oldest tricks in the book. I'm sure you probably know. It's like keep it quiet, then get the big explosion. Like here's the yeah. song. You know, bang a rang, let's get dancing. Um, so that was the that was the concept behind that. Yes, we did that in the demo version as well, and then we really wanted to be, see that recreated. So um, we did the best we could to try and do that. And of course, at that point, you have demoitis, so you're like, it has to be exactly the same crackles. I mean, exactly yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask. Was that uh, was that Dave Jordan's suggestion to do the record crackles, or was that something that was on the demo? That was something on the demo. Yeah, we we, cool. we put that together ourselves in the prior one, so we were we were trying to get creative with that with uh, the tools we had available at the time. Have you ever been so high on something like that crackling? You're like that makes the intro for me, and then you get it to a producer. He's like, "Why is that there? It's distracting me." And you, your your bub- your bubbles burst. You're like, "Dude, that's my favorite part." So that obviously didn't happen here. Yeah, no, we, we, yeah, it's one of those things, like you say, you're so excited. That's like the part that must be in the song. And it's like, it makes the song or it doesn't make the song. And the <laughs> producer tells you it does not need to be there. You're like, you're ruining my life right now. Yeah, <laughs> ab- absolutely. Well, did Dave Jordan mix the record as well? He did. Him and, oh gosh, what's her name? Um, his engineer both mixed the record collaboratively. Okay. But mostly, mostly Dave Jordan did, yeah. Well, I'm going to read these lyrics up to verse one. I'm calling this the intro, okay? We're not even into verse one. These are the intro lyrics, and I'll have you set these up for us if you can, Jason. Sure thing. I'm going back to where I came from, so far away, but not so far from home, where I lay my head down by the sea. I'm going back to where we'd go, so far away, but not so far away from home, where I'd rest, where I'd lay so peacefully. Yes. So that all pretty much is, you know, that's me laying on the beach. <laughs> that's me laying on the beach right there, just kind of going through my brain, staring at the sky, you know, just soaking it all in. And the, it's kind of a double meaning right there. It's like so far away, but not so far from home, meaning, of course, it's like just across the border from the Mesa, Arizona, where we lived, into Mexico there, and as well as San Diego, but also your heart, where your heart is at, you know, so far away, but not so far from home, being your home, being the heart, uh, where your heart is at. So. That's kind of what that means right there, the whole intro piece. Well, on the line where I lay my head down by the sea, right after that, we get a one, two, three, four, five, six. It's a tap on the ride cymbal bell, then one bass note and a light cymbal hit, followed by two more bass notes that are changing with the guitar chords. On the last line where I'd rest, where I'd lay so peacefully, three more bass guitar hits with light cymbal crashes. The bass is a little more playful here than the previous three notes above, and the cymbals ring out with that vinyl record sound as we go into verse one. And again, this whole intro is just your vocal and that guitar until yeah. those bass notes come in and it has that crackle thing there. So you really are setting the mood here, as you said. It's, you know, you, you kind of want the next part to pop, which it does. Absolutely. Yeah. That's become the part that the crowd sings, which is, um, I think, what was the idea in mind with making it its own, almost its own little song of its own kind of thing and its own hook uh, before yeah. the whole thing came into play, you know. So it worked. It worked. <laughs> sure. And, well, and and that's that's why I called it the intro. Typically, I'd feel like, yeah, that's verse one. But no, now we're in verse one. But by the way, I wanna break when put this dress aside. But above all things, I wanna lay by the ocean side. The ocean waves, no other way, either way. But I'm finding, oh no, my daily worries wanna drift away. Fine, dying and trying just to find some sort of peace of mind. Now's the time, yeah, the way. But a by the way, 
I want a break and I want to put this stress aside. But above all things, I want to lay by the ocean side. The ocean waves. No other way. Get away. Well, I'm finding. Oh no, my daily worries want to drift away. Fine. Dying and trying. To define some sort of peace of mind. Now the time to get away. Did I get all those right? So define is actually... Uh, wait, uh, is that to find? To find some sort of peace of mind, yeah. On the Google lyrics, it says to find. It does say that, and I swear you say to define, and I even had my producer, Chris, listen to it five times. Yes, he goes, yeah, it's definitely to define. So uh, <laughs> Google Google was right, Jason. They rarely are, but they were right in this instance. Dying and trying to define some sort of peace of mind. Now yeah, dying and trying to find some sort of peace of mind because of the crazy chaos of uh, your daily life again and, and all of that. And um um, but by the way, so I'll go, to, I'll go to that because that's the oh, catchphrase. I, I, I want to talk about that line. That's not something you would typically say in English that I've ever heard, uh, but uh, by the way. Was that an yeah. accident? Was that supposed to be like that? So that was me trying to be, again, creative. Like, you know, just think of something that's going to be catchy. So with songs, I've always been like a big hook guy, um, a big chorus guy or whatever. It's always my favorite thing. And I'll write verses around that because my thoughts were always, as long as you had your hook and you had your chorus that people could sing along to kind of thing in unison and in, in a grand scale, then uh, the rest would kind of fall together with the storyline kind of thing. So, but by the way, was really just me trying to be creative and think of something that might be weird and quirky and um, just kind of set the tone to take you on that ride. I've done that before and I've had producers and I go, that sounds weird. And like, no, that's got some vibe to it. It's cool and it makes people think. So you never know what someone's going to say about something, but man, that is it is strange, but it is hooky at the same time. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was a weird little thing, and I was like, this might work. We'll see what happens. It might be just, again, a confusing statement that people are like, what the hell is he even saying there? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I think it's cool. That line, but a by the way, the vocal is by itself there. Then the band is in with drums, bass. There's a guitar pan left that's a bit more playful. The guitar panned off right is more staccato, kind of stabby sounding. On the line, third line, but above all things, I want to lay by the ocean side. We get our first harmonies in the song. But the yeah. harmonies are really subtle in this whole tune until we get to the bridge later. And it's like the lights come on and we'll get there. One of my one of my favorite parts of the song. But the harmonies here, they're very subtle. They're not super forward. I love where they lay there, but they're also not a strict harmony. You got some unison in there. H how was that? And is that you singing the backing uh, uh, harmonies? That was. Yeah, I did all the backing vocals on the song. Uh, a lot of the songs I did, unless it was like more of the big chorus, like chant stuff, you know what I mean? Um, a lot of the guys in the group at the time weren't, weren't big singers, you know. Um, Jeremy was would sing quite a lot more of Harmony Wise Live. Uh, Bill, my guitar player, had more parts actually specific for himself. But so, yes, yeah, so on this song, it was myself doing the harmonies. And that was kind of the idea, too, is to let it kind of tear, you know, the song, because it is such a long song, like you say. Uh, you couldn't blow it all out at one time basically, you know, so I was like really trying to be careful and pick my spots in the beginning phases of it to help each verse grow with the, the rest of the song with the storyline. So yeah, just kind of just kind of try things really just be like, just let it roll again. Let's try this thing. That's great. And you know, it, for the longer version, the album version, it, it's perfect for live because this song could go on as long as you want it to. You can have the yeah. moment and then hit that last chorus and place goes nuts again. Yeah, man, you got an hour and a half set. That's half your set right there, bro. <laughs> 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 exactly. Well, uh, you get a harmony as well on the next line, the ocean waves, no other way, get away. It's subtle again. The hi-hat work here is awesome in this section. Yeah. 
After Well, I'm Finding, there's a flutter of like acoustic guitars panned off left. It's super awesome. It almost sounds a little bit like timpani drums. It, it gave me that vibe, and I kept listening, but I don't, I don't think it's timpanis. It, it isn't. Are those acoustics like like super chorused and like with reverb on them over to the left? It's a really neat uh, effect. So here's that's a Jordan there, right there. That's a Jordanism. Because okay. We were- we he got so wild with the guitars on this record in general. He was like, we did like seven layers of guitars that were all different sounds. Like he just had a he just loved different guitar sounds in general. I think it reminded me of Jane's Addiction. Okay, you, yeah. you, you, right before you'd get into a, a pre-chorus or something, you'd have that. You know, he'd have Navarro's guitars out there doing something weird, and 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 I got that vibe from that part. It's really neat. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Like like you say, things like that. You'll really see the Jordan come out in on those. Those are sections like that. I was kind of discussing earlier that. When it's really a moment where he feels really particular about and strongly about, he'll step in there and really make that shine and be strong about that opinion on it, you know? So uh, we didn't know, we thought it was too many guitars ourselves at the time. I remember very vividly thinking that. It feels like, what the, what am I doing? You start getting confused when you work with a real producer. They're like, you do? keep keep doing it. Like, why am I singing this again? And then you realize that, oh, my, my vocals tripled in this bridge. You know, yeah. they, they, they're, yeah. they're, a, they're a mad scientist. They have this wacky thing going on. And, and like you said, your guitarist Bill's going, why am I doing these guitar? I played the acoustic guitar part eight times. What's he doing? And he's over there, you know, uh, scheming, you know, what this part's going to sound like. And it's not this huge, big part, but man, that flourish just makes it. It's so cool. It does. It really takes it to another place, I think, just enough to where it like comes almost dry when that chorus hits. You know what I mean? That's kind of his magic he did there, I think, and yeah. really made that chorus pop. I think uh, with making it muddier, waterier, effective wise with the guitars, it really helped that whole element of the song. I love certain emphasis in when a when a person, a performer's, when their personality comes across, and it really does here on the word fine, you kind of growl it. There's like an yeah. emphasis on that. And when that part came across and I listened to it over and over again, it got me thinking how funny it is when even great singers, you'll hear them do karaoke, but you know, they're trying to impersonate Rick Ocasek from the cars or something. You can't impersonate that guy, you know? Right. And and that's his personality. You, you can try, but you're never going to make it sound great. And I, it made me chuckle. I'm like, yeah, if I got up to try to, to to karaoke this song, I could get through it. But when I got to the fine line, I couldn't try to emulate that. I get laughed out of the building. Now, that's funny because I was going to allude to that because it did make it to um, karaoke, which my mom always said, she's like, once, you make karaoke, <laughs> once, once you're on karaoke, honey, yeah, once you're on karaoke, honey, you know you made it. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, thanks, mom, because she loves karaoke. But dude, yeah, even like, so even the song that they do on the karaoke, they do the recording with the guy singing it and showing you how to do it. Same exa- great example right there. It was it's it's funny to hear like the emulation or the attempt to emulate that little moments like that. I guess um, with anybody, but this specifically, it's like a. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like where did the pirate come from? All of a sudden, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the re-recording is pretty funny. Hey, don't go anywhere. We got lots more coming up with Jason DeVore after a few words from our sponsors. 
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Hey everybody, Chris Fafali is here. I know that you've heard us talk about the After Party Podcast, which is our weekly bonus episode that's a lot of fun. We get into a lot of music history, discussions about music in general, dive into things from the main episode, explore classic albums, etc. We've got a back catalog that's about 150 episodes strong now, and a new episode comes out every Monday. All you got to do is head over to ChrisDemakes.com to sign up, and you get instant access to a new episode of the After Party each week, Plus, that enormous back catalog that'll keep you laughing and learning for a long time. Chris talks a mean game about his metal knowledge, so I recently tested his wits with a whole episode of Headbangers Ball Trivia. Here's a little clip from that one. Okay, you got one point going into question number four. What was the first music video ever played on the Headbangers Ball? I don't know the answer to this. You need the multiple choice? Multiple choice. A... Dokken Dream Warriors, B, Poison, Talk Dirty to Me, C, Cinderella, Somebody Save Me, or D, Judas Priest, Another Thing Coming? Uh, No idea. You know the answer? You can play along to plenty of trivia episodes in the back catalog right now by heading to chrisdemakes.com and signing up for the supporting cast. And hey, members of the supporting cast might even get a chance to take Chris on in an episode of Defeat Demakes as well. I promise it's coming back soon. Thanks so much to everyone who has already joined. And if you're heading to ChrisDemakes.com to sign up right now, a big thanks to you as well. It's your support that keeps Chris Demakes a podcast alive and kicking. And now back to the show. And I'll tell you, this next part is awesome what's going on here guitar wise and pre-chorus one it sounds jason like it's a 12 string acoustic or a heavily chorused 12 string clean guitar is strummed off to the left while a funky guitar with kind of like a wah pedal maybe a tremolo is is panned off to the right is that a 12 string over there he did a 12 string on that as well as a regular acoustic and the clean tone guitar as well so that's a combination of all those things right there yeah it's so different that yeah. this pre-chorus doesn't sound like anything else in the song because of those 12 strings. Yeah, it's almost like the pre-chorus is the biggest parts of a lot of the song. Really they, you know, they give a lot of that shine and openness to it, I guess, breath. Right. going away oh yeah no other place to go i want to got to get away let's get away oh away yeah it's just like 
let's just uh, go back to that place. Basically, you already kind of in your mind, I was already, you know, imagining having to get back to the daily grind kind of stuff. I mean, I'm sure a lot of these, I'm thinking back, it was like you say so many years ago, but a lot of that was finished up once upon returning back home away from the bliss of all the magic that had just occurred uh, and daydreaming of it, I guess, in some regards uh, during that time frame that I think that really helped put all the pieces back together to make it all come to life with uh, the storyline of it. Okay, and I was going to ask, uh, were the lyrics pretty much done, or were you still kind of figuring things out in the studio? Like, hey, I don't know if this line works. Do you remember any of that happening? A lot of it was, yeah, was done because we did, like I said, we did that pre-demo. So in that regard, I think a lot of it was written in that demo uh, or the Patches in Time version um, in studio with just some like, yeah, and just like kind of spitballing with my buddy Derek back and forth, like, what's which one's better, this one or this one kind of thing, you know? And so I think a lot of it was really pretty well put together, but a lot of the fine line tuning was really done in that first demo making of it. The bass is just amazing in this pre-chorus section. Just yeah. It's just ripping. On a way, the vocals ring out over that tremolo guitar panned off to the right, and we get that one, two, three, four, five, six snare hit into chorus one. One more minute. One more minute. You know, this part, it doesn't sound like the Chili Peppers, but it reminds me, and of course, Jordan worked with them too. It sounds like two different people here. The one more yeah. minute is this gruff, kind of like, you know, you're kind of uh, going, harking back to that when you say fine. It's got this, you know, uh, yeah. really, really throaty, growly one more minute. And then the beach is San Diego. The next line is mellow. It sounds like two different, two different people there. Um, one more minute. The beach is San Diego. One more minute. Yeah. One more minute. The beach is Mexico. One more minute. Yeah. One more minute. We kick it back poolside. One more minute. We're down by the ocean side. One more minute. One more minute, one more minute. That's it, man. <laughs> just one more minute. And that's all that's all it was about right there, you say. So I wanted to hold on to that as long as you could, you know. And and um yeah, with the voicings of it, um, that was something just once again trying to get be a little creative with doing something different. Cause again, we knew how long the song was and I was like, I gotta I gotta really do something special to make this pop and differentiate it from all these long verses that I'm already kind of pulling out a lot of tricks on. So with that, I've always had a kind of a relationship with uh, vocally with um, getting compared to James Hetfield of Metallica a little bit because of that because of that growl. That is in here a little bit too, and and I am guilty of that. I had to really strive to get away from that. My first less than Jake record, yeah, I, you know, I'd get the Hetfield yeah. thing going because he was my biggest influence as a singer growing up, dude. Yeah, and sure. that I had to be cognizant of that. I didn't want too much of that. You could still hear it a little bit, you know. I got, I kind of have his same uh, t tonality of of where his voice sits, but really? uh, it's it's funny you bring that up. Is there double unison vocals on one more minute? It sounds like there's one or at least one or two of you there. Might be four, dude. Honestly, yeah. on that, on that okay. recording, we we try to beef that up so super much, um, and then really soften the blow on the response. So, yeah. Well, the drums, bass, and stereo guitars are here. Stereo guitars left and right playing upstrokes, but pushing and pulling one another. They're not lined up completely. And I, I've noticed that in a lot of 
if you want to call it reggae rock tracks that I've been been listening to, they'll do that a lot. And and I really want to start doing that. I've always wanted, I've always had stereo images of Less Than Jake because we only have one guitar player, but it's really neat to kind of have them playing off each other a little bit. I like what's going on there. Uh, the drum fills are really the only busy thing in the chorus. The chorus is pretty mellow. You're just kind of hanging on that vocal. We get a harmony on, we're down by the ocean side. And then after you say one more minute, three times, we're right into verse two. So far away. And here's the line. I don't know. It says, in Sandy on the beach, I want to clear my head and break it in the warm sunshine. What do you say there? And Dowdy, Dowdy on the beach. Okay, I saw, <laughs> I saw Dowdy, D-O-W-D-Y. I saw that on some lyric site. Is that a place you were at? No, Dowdy's just like, it's a term of like, uh, just rest, relaxation, things of that nature. It's an English word? An English word, yeah. I'm okay. pretty sure, like, actually, when I was a kid, when I was the back then, I was looking for some other creative word, so I think I looked that word up. Dowdy. <laughs> Dowdy, okay. yeah. And, yeah. And it's not like, I, I'm doubting myself, Dowdy. It's, it's Dowdy, D-O-W-D-Y. Yeah, okay. Dowdy. That, that was a moment I was like, I need to get, a, uh, you know, some a sharper word here to get it a little bit more, like, uh, well, again, make you, make you think, make you, like, dig into it a little deeper. I'd like to think of myself as a, as a pretty good linguist of the English language, but uh, you got me here. I've never heard Dowdy. That's a, you, you, le- you learned something on our show, folks. Who knew? I love it. Check it out, folks. It probably doesn't mean anything that I just explained either. <laughs> okay. Well, once again, so far away and Dowdy on the beach. I want to clear my head and break it in the warm sunshine. Want to relay relaxation with the horizon break away and a ring around my arm from a long day of making angels in the sand. Yeah, getting ringworm. <laughs> Get, do, you, do you ever seen that live, getting ringworm in the sand? I, I, I don't. I need to start, though. I tell that story live sometimes, too, though. It's like, you know, podcast-specific sometimes or interviews, because it is just a funny moment to me that it sounds so glorified and, like, glamorous that of a line because it's got this pretty flow to it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I got ring. I got ringworm about ten years ago, and I went to the. I was freaking out, and I'm like, yeah. I think this is ringworm. And the doctor's like, yeah, and I'm like, what did I do? Like, am, am I dirty? I'm like, it's like he's like, dude, you got ringworm. Like, grow up. Like, put you put yeah. put, put, uh, put some uh, whatever, like tenactin on it or something. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. He's um, like, it's like <laughs> I went too, and I was like freaking out. I thought I burned myself because I was just, you know, and uh, it turned out it was ringworm, and I was like, I had like a little ring right here on the front of the arm, and then I had a line down by my arm a little further. And I was like, something's wrong. And so, like I said, I went to the doctor and he's like, it's just like jock itch on your arm. Go and put some cream on it. You'll be fine in a couple of days. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> We're making, hey, making the song sound killer, right? <laughs> man, maybe you're immune. Maybe you're immune now. You know, your system is built up an immunity to it. Yeah. Uh, I, lo- I love what goes on here in verse two. It's like you, the first half is so different from the second half. On the first half, it's drums, bass, and a new guitar, a new, yet again, a, a new sound here coming in, panned off left, playing a lick that sounds like a hollow body guitar with lots of room on it. Almost sounds like a pre delay on that guitar panned off right. My eyes were kind of ping-ponging back and forth during this part. It's it's, it's really neat. Sure. Yeah. Dave Jordan, again, that's the magic of him. He had, uh, in his studio out there uh, in Burbank, he has this giant 
really high ceiling room that he recorded a lot of those acoustic uh, guitars in. And so he captured a lot of that big room live sound with miking and certain techniques that he did. And he did it. He really did. He did such a great job of, of capturing those, those elements that you're hearing right there and make them stand out on top of that amidst the chaos of all the guitars. Um, yeah. Just a, acoustic, basically. I think it's great. Well, the, on the, the back half, the guitar goes back to the feel of verse one. It's really cool. We get harmonies on Want to Clear My Head and Break It in the Warm Sunshine. Want to Relay Relaxation. Then the next line is really cool. I never knew this was the term for it. Roger told me recently, Roger from Less Than Jake, he said, oh yeah, those are feature words. And, and I guess that probably comes from rap because rappers do this a lot. And on the word with here, there's a few vocals stacked just on with to emphasize oh, yeah. that word. Yeah, they call them emphasis words to be featured. It's on that. And uh, you also hear a harmony on breakaway there. On the last line of making angels in the sand, that big drum fill again takes us into pre-chorus two. There's a new lyric here on line one only, Pacifico in my hand. Oh, yeah. No other place to go. I want to get away. Let's get away. Oh, away. Pre-chorus two, you got that one line that's different. You wanted to tie that in with laying in the sand, but the rest of it's the same. Was there ever the thought of, hey, we should keep going here and expound a little bit more, or, or did you want it to be like that? Interesting. Uh, did kind of want it to be like that. Yeah, change it up a little bit. Just keep it interesting again. Um and that was, and even with the drum lines, like we, we tapped into those for a second. You mentioned the drum lines and the big fills. A lot of that was with this song is because we were not a reggae band or any really from too too much of that element. I guess we wanted to make it as non-reggae sounding as possible and do something just different. So it gave it more of a swing beat to like not make it just a standard kind of thing. And uh, that's where a lot of that busyness came from, as well as the bass guitar. I think those elements really made that move and make it interesting enough to where it could be the long longer song like that um but leading up to that pre-chorus there again just also keeping it interesting by adding just little flavors here and there to keep it rolling and not get stagnant okay now by the time you guys recorded this in 2001 this was this was done to pro tools yes yes okay okay pre-chorus too at the end when you say away the vocals ring out again and that one two three four five six that's those those six snare hits those sound a bit louder here, like they have more room on them. They sound bigger, and I A-beat it like 10 times. Uh-huh. Did you ever notice that? And, and and producers will do that. They're like, hey, the song's building. We're going to give it another DB or two here to give it a little more oomph. Yeah, I did not specifically hear that myself, but I, I, I wouldn't put it past Jordan to be like just thinking that the whole time that, again, things have got to... Things have got to keep building. Can you get him on the phone right now? We, we need to ask. We need to clear this up. I want to call Jordan. He's probably between the B twelve shots. Um, no. <laughs> no, he was no, he was known for that. Like having his guy come and give him the B twelve shots in the studio. That kind of stands out. In my he mind. had his own needle person to give him uh, his own dude. I'm telling you, homie, he would like come in. He'd sit down in his chair, like, "What's up?" In his leather jacket, hair spiked up. Give me my Doc- coffee and my B twelve, and I'll tell you what's good. Yeah, he's good to go, man. He's like jazz back up, and he's back behind the boards, going to work. But. uh I was going to say, oh, that, that's the magic again of Dave Jordan. Just like the cool thing about it is, like you say, with producers, a lot of times a song like this should have been cut in half or would have been cut in half by so many producers. I mean, like this does not need to be here. This is fat. Trim it. 
And he, luckily enough, weirdly enough, saw the potential of keeping a six-minute song, a six-minute song, and six-minute plus, I guess, and uh, just wanting to work with it and take the clay and mold it into something that could be possible. Well, and I, I love when producers let the band sometimes be the band. Yeah. You know, and, I, and, I, and I'm and i sure Atlantic, okay, because, you know, this song was the fifth song on the album out of 13. So all of a sudden they're listening to you going, well, this is the single, but we can't release a six and a half minute single to radio. So now you're in another predicament. <laughs> so, you know, even the radio edit, they're like, this is still four and a half minutes long. Yeah. Like, how are we supposed to sell this or, you know, convince yeah. people? To, okay. To play and the and the bands that were getting four and a half minute songs on the radio, then they were established artists like the Chili Peppers. You know, okay, right. it's the Peppers. This song's good enough; we can let it go on for four and a half minutes. But not everyone got that uh, got that opportunity. Uh, exactly. Pre-chorus two, same instrumentation as pre-chorus one. Coming out of uh, uh, the away part with that snare hit, we get into chorus two. One Same instrumentation and lyrics as chorus one. We get that same harmony back down on We're Down by the Ocean Side. And then we get into the bridge. And man, this is where the lights come on for me in the track because the harmonies are now just hitting you right between the eyes. They're you're, you're now going for it. You're like singing some high harmonies. They're not subtle here. The sunshine in my eyes and the flamenco. sunshine in my eyes and the flamenco in the skies the only way you'll ever know is to go that's it yeah and that's that's a big part of it right there you say is that it was essentially to me that was kind of a verse three and it was like but i and i knew i was so wordy storytelling throughout the entirety of the song uh, almost like it got more wordy as things went on and so i thought i'd do the opposite of trying to get extra wordy and thinking and sometimes that'd be the way to go with it to make it build and do the exact opposite and just pick key phrases that all encompass the entire image I was trying to set the paint the picture for, I guess. And uh, I think it, I think it did that. And I think it's with that in mind with the big harmonies, it sounds like sunshine almost like came out from behind the clouds. It does. I, I, I said it made me feel like the lights came on, not like the song right. was dull, but all of a sudden you're in, in this other world. And that's what a bridge a lot of times is supposed to do. We get harmonies on every line here. Was that your idea or Dave's or a combination of both that I really want to go up here? I want to hit, I want to hit some higher notes and have these harmonies uh, really uh, front and center. Uh, that was, that was my idea. I did, like I said, I did want to see it take another turn and make that, as I say, number three, uh, thing before the next chorus really take on a life of its own and I thought that that might be a way to really help it go there and I think there's like even man I think some of them are the hidden like kind of ghost harmonies in there but I think I tried like six different variations I'm typically a high guy a low guy and a middle guy to kind of get that rounded out thing but I think with that one I did like five or six different variations to try and make that a thing but I think in the end with Dave uh, Dave's production I think that he felt it more so necessary only to make the two elements shine, the big high guy and then the main lead. 
And it was like the less is more kind of thing that really helped it pop a little bit there. Yeah, there may be some stuff tucked way back, but I just hear the predominant, uh, you know, the the lead and the harmony. Right after the line and the flamenco in the skies, there's this great little flamenco guitar part run after the line that comes in there. It's perfect, you know. You, you hear that at the top of the song. You don't hear that tone again, and then all of a sudden it comes in after after the lyric. I thought that was cool. Yeah, little little salt and pepper seasoning kind of things, like you say. There you go. And on the line is to go. It's a great reverbed kind of echo that happens there that uh, leads us into the 16 bar guitar solo panned very very slight left halfway through we get a here we go from jason and the chord progression here is the pre-chorus uh chord progression We get an ah away, and that one, two, three, four, five, six snare hit comes back in. That snare hit, those six hits, it's happened now, whatever, three or four times in the song. I talk about this a lot. That's a little hook within the tune. Was there ever thought of changing it up, or did you guys look at that as a hook? No, we're not going to, because you could do a a number of different kind of fills and feels there. Totally. No, we we, we definitely saw that as a little earworm, I think, that was uh, just... If it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of moment. You know, we're like, it's just kind of like the segue into the big part that's all going to be one piece that uh, is consistent in the song, for sure. Well, we get one more chorus three here. Uh, same instrumentation. Uh, the lyrics don't change. And, you know, besides the one more minute, there's a lot of information here, you know. And a lot of times when choruses get wordy, you want to keep it the same. So by the third chorus, your audience or the, the listener is going to be able to digest it and remember it. Was that kind of the thought here? Was there ever like, hey, we could, I could slip in another line about, uh, you know, walking down the beach and something else happened? Or was it always you wanted to be the be the same three times? Uh, like you say, yeah, it was it was pretty much the repetition of that. I think I was just trying to drill into people's brains and uh, make it make it the make it the all encompass storyline of the song and uh, just keep it pretty, pretty straight away. The last thing you hear is shed the light. Is it four alls in a row? All, 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 all day? No, just shed the light all day. Uh, so it's like it repeats itself. And I think it's written out as like he does this like an absurd amount of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, on the single version and on the album version at the very end, it's the same. It's the same ending that happens here. So briefly, OK, after chorus three. It goes into the shed the light all day part. And it's kind of like an extended 
uh, for lack of a better word, like a, a, a reggae, like a jam band. It just kind of goes on and then you hit what would what would be the fourth chorus at the end. Uh, but uh, when it does end, it's the same ending that's on the single uh, version here. Shed the light all day and it uh, that 12 string guitar comes back, panned off left with the bass and drums, ending on like a little cymbal crescendo and the song comes to an end. Uh, your first single from your debut album and here you are talking about it 21 years later. That's pretty cool. Pretty wild, man. And thanks for helping me discuss it because I haven't really broken it down like that ever. So it's, it's kind of fun to actually think that back through and really go through the process of it this many years, like you say, later and be like, where was my head at in that point in time? And what did we actually do? <laughs> Have you played it at every show since, uh, since you wrote it and recorded it? We played it at a lot of shows throughout the year. Yeah, we played it almost every show because, like you say, it's it's the one that a lot of people do know. Even even like the fans that have, you know, the band that have um, stuck around because it was the radio song single thing, uh, they still appreciate it too. There's the fans that are like, I'll do anything but one more minute because you have such, they'll say better songs than that one, you know, whatever. And, but there's that, obviously there's like half the crowd that still wants to hear it. And we still love playing, which is well, pretty wild this many years later. It's still, you see people's faces light up. You see the energy in the room go to a different level. So it's like, why not? You know, it's like, it's still relevant to uh, daily life of, we still all go through those hardships of work, those daily problems and frustrations that you, you're dreaming of that at your front, at your desk daily, I'm sure many times. I stopped being artsy and uh, for the sake of being artsy many years ago, you know, it'd be times where like, we're not playing Johnny Quest tonight. And inevitably you'd be at the merch booth. And the first guy that comes up, he's like, you guys were great, but why didn't you play? <laughs> Like, totally. You're like, okay, oh. I, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna fix this. We're just gonna play it and that's gonna be the end of it. And every time I go out and play songs like that that we played every night and will continue to play every night, my appreciation for them stems from the fact of how hard the audience is going over. And now the fact that I can't believe I wrote this thirty years ago and someone wants to hear the darn thing. Right in your garage. It's, it's, it blows your mind. You're like, this thing is still making sense to people. <laughs> it's like, wow. It just it blows your mind. It really does. So you know, there's that element always of like give the give the people that love you and your music what they want. Obviously, do what you love to play, and and you have to enjoy yourself because that transfers over and crosses over the energy. But you know, there's songs like that that just you it's there's something that's also you get back from the audience from seeing the excitement, like you say, that they still have the appreciation for that song for it, and it makes you excited to play it again. Absolutely. Well, I know you you just got home not too long ago from a tour. You guys are out there all the time, still killing it. Uh, what's going on with Authority Zero? What do you got? We leave, actually, we just got off the East Coast leg of our Getting Old Sucks tour with Bowling for Soup, which we've done uh, some stuff, yep. and uh, Mest as well, and we're heading back out in about seven days to do the West Coast now, so we're going to finish that up for about two and a half weeks, and then um, we've been slowly writing new music, we're not trying to force anything, because that's what we thought we did pretty right with the last record was we took our time with it and wrote songs we really were happy with, so we're casually writing, but we're also uh, working on a lot, a lot of new different elements of um, possibly another live acoustic album every two albums we typically do a rhythm and booze uh song uh, album where we <laughs> do like a live, a live thing where we re rewrite all of our songs from two albums and then do a live show and put that out so that's probably in the works um new music of course i've got a solo record coming out in may april i'm not sure if that's relevant or not with the the, the authority stuff right now but i started doing solo stuff about 2006 um i started writing songs that were really not in the vein of authority as diverse as the band is and things like that it just Songs, I was like, this will not work at all. It's just going to be strange. So I started recording them, um, kind of just home studio stuff with my buddy Brian. And before I knew it, I had one album. And I was like, cool, I'll put it out. It's like very singer-songwriter kind of stuff. And um, kind of started doing open mic night things with that to try and just see if people actually enjoyed the music like I did. 
from there I did another album then a third and then uh, I recently well two years ago now uh, between touring I started re-recording my song Courage and I just wanted to make it a big big anthematic song for like almost like theatrical like you know big cinema kind of sound that I always wanted to hear it like Braveheart and so I did that and I was like well I got these other songs now too that I would had my little notepad from like over the last two years of the COVID thing and like touring and just like whatever I went and sort of sifted through I was like, there's some good stuff here. I'm like, maybe I should start just trying to lay another song down. And so I did, but at Underdog Studios here in town. And before I knew it, I was recording a full-length album. And uh, money was getting kind of short with that, so I was doing it very casually. And then in comes a label called Double Helix Records out of Scottsdale, Arizona, which yeah. um, they signed Yodum from Useless ID, uh, M from Tsunami Bomb back in the day. Um, all these things, like great artists, that they, uh, and they're an independent label here, a uh, husband and wife. And Yodam introduced them to my solo stuff. So like, yeah, we've heard of Authority Zero. And they're like, no, we've heard of solo stuff. And they're like, no, we'll check it out. So they came out, and then they were interested in wanting to sign me and uh, put a record out. And I was like, that's great. This hasn't happened in years, you know, since like Lava. So I was like, okay, how's this work now? And so super cool people, super supportive, like grassroots DIY kind of stuff, and just over-the-top supportive. So now they took over helping me produce this new record that's coming out. And give me the studio time that I need to get it done to the way I want it put together and to the best of its ability. And they're going to help me release it in April, May. It's going to come out on Double Helix Records. And it's a combination of all three records I've done solo, as well as uh, just because naturally I think some Authority Zero sounds and tinges are coming into play rather than just the acoustic singer-songwriter kind of thing. So there's horns on it. There's like, you know, trumpet, there's trombone, there's big drums there's like it's there's cello on it there's a guy called the punk cellist that's online he does a lot of oh stuff yeah like yeah of course but yeah Ian the, Ian the punk cellist i found him online and i was like hey do you know the band authority zero i'd love to do a song with you with our band and it didn't come to work out but i was like well now i'm doing a solo record it would really use some cello on that that's and awesome so he's all over it and it's it's really cool the way it's coming together man and it's being produced by bob hogue myself and uh uh, Kristen, uh, also out in uh, Underdog, Underdog Studios. So, well, tell Bob Hogue I said hello. I haven't seen him in a hot minute. I will, man. Yeah, I'll be seeing him in November to finish this thing up. <laughs> awesome, Jason. Thank you so much for sitting in. Tell the guys I said hello, and tell those clowns and soup and mast I said hi to. I will, Chris. You do the same with your buds. It's your turn. Hey, everybody. I know a lot of you were waiting for this episode with Jason DeVore for a long time, and I hope you enjoyed it. But don't go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from NoFX and Ian McKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to ban you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Finding Amelia, 
a Midwest alternative rock band with soaring guitar riffs, catchy melodies, and a wide variety of instrumentation. The track I'm about to preview features a 12-string guitar. Pretty cool in my book. Here's a snippet of that song, Paper Planes. My heart, but still so Chris and Chris. Well, that was a fun one, Chris. Listeners have been requesting a Jason episode for a long time now. I swear it's once a week someone writes, have Jason DeVore on the podcast. And now I see why. The dude's a great storyteller and a great conversationalist. I love this episode. No, me too. He's he's awesome. Known him forever. I, I said right at the top of the episode, uh, over 20 years now, didn't mention that him and I, the last tour that I did uh, late January of 2020 was with Jason. We did a 10-date acoustic tour with Howie from Ballyhoo and a couple other people uh, out west. And, you know... Uh, being trapped in a van with people you don't know, you know, I kind of thought about it. It's going to be 10 days. It was 10 shows in a row, no days off. And I said, how's this going to go? And it couldn't have been, couldn't have been better. It was just such a pleasure. Nice. Uh, one thing I thought was pretty cool is when he was talking about authority zero, every member of the band had different taste and influences. You don't usually see that much diversity of taste in a band. He's like, oh, this guy, this guy liked thrash metal. This guy liked funk. This guy, I'm like, wow, how did those people end up all playing together? It feels like the people you play with in a band are usually because you have similar tastes when you start your band. That's just... I haven't heard that really before. I mean, of course, everyone likes what they like within the band. You don't like exactly the same, but it sounded like they had a wide array of influences. Yeah, I've, I've heard stories like that where, you know, when they knew Hefe was a great uh, guitar player, no effects, but he came from the hip hop world. He came from dance and electronica. You know, he never heard punk. He's like, what is this? You know, <laughs> and but he's a ripping guitar player and he can sing like nobody's business. So, hey, you're in the band. That happens sometimes. Yeah, I thought that was that was pretty cool. And I've always said those are what makes a band is the sum of its parts. I also thought it was cool hearing about Dave Jordan. Of course, you went through his resume in the episode. It's everybody from Talking Heads to Rolling Stones. It's just crazy what he's worked on. Uh, but I thought it was cool to hear how he was like a little bit eccentric. And, you know, <laughs> how a lot of times with these old school producers, you'll hear that and I think that comes with the territory. If you are a visionary, someone that can, you know, really see music and, and take it to that next level. Yeah, you're usually a kind of a different person, too. I've said this a million times. A, a producer is is a, a, a coach, a mentor um, and uh, a, a poor man psychologist, psychiatrist. They're, they're there to the good ones are there to just kind of witness everything going down and they chime in when necessary. Uh, that's why I've never been a producer because I'd be chiming in every two seconds yeah. and I, I'd ruin, I, I would ruin the soup self-admittedly. I, I'm telling <laughs> you right now, I just don't have that about me to that restraint to sit back and go, well, we'll get to that part. It's not there yet, but this part's really great. Now I'd want to mm. talk about the bad part first. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I'm sure every producer has their own methods or whatever, but sure. uh, obviously Dave Jordan is and has uh, done something right. Uh, hey, I, Chris, I also looked up 
the dictionary definition of dowdy. Oh, you did. What, <laughs> what, did. what, what, what is the Merriam-Webster definition? In parentheses, it says, of a person or their clothes, unfashionable and without style in appearance, typically used of a woman. And the sample <laughs> sentence they used was, she could achieve the kind of casual chic that made every other woman around her look dowdy. So it's a little different than, than Jason's use of dowdy. <laughs> I love the education I get here on Krista Makes a Podcast. And I'd never heard of that word. Had you heard of that word? When I read it back in that sentence, it sounds like something, <laughs> it sounds like something they would say on Downton Abbey. Or something like <laughs> it sounds like something from like centuries before. Oh, she looks a bit dowdy. <laughs> I kept seeing dowdy written on these lyric sites, and I'm like, who copied and pasted this from the last lyric site? There's no way this is the lyric. And and, and sure enough, when he said that, I fell out of the chair. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think this was a very dowdy episode. I thought it was great, and I think everyone who listens to it today will think the same. Absolutely. No, this was this was a pleasure and they're still out there kicking it. They're they're working incredibly hard touring, doing their thing 20 years on. Good for them and good for us, Chris, because yeah. we have We're working hard. We're doing our thing too, you know, just like Authority Zero. Exactly. ChrisDemakes.com. Head over there and sign up for our supporting cast, which again is like a Patreon, where you can get bonus episodes each week called The After Party, where Chris and I will talk your ear off even more than we already do. ChrisDemakes.com. Please head over there and support the podcast. You know, and we hope you love. We got to do an episode where we just learn new words that we don't know. Would you want to do an After Party episode where we just learn a bunch of new words, new vocabulary words to use in our everyday vernacular? That's the next one I want to do. I'm serious. Let's do it. And when we do it, I will tell you about the dictionary game. There's actually a dictionary game that's really cool that I used to play uh, with my parents as a kid. Lots of fun. Uh, Man, this has been a blast. Give me and Chris both a tandem follow on Instagram. I'm at less than Chris D. He's at Chris Fafalius. And I want to thank this week's guest, my good friend, Jason DeVore, for being on the pod and we'll see you next week hey everyone this is tuck from fit for a king in off-road minivan every week i bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast get tucked join me every monday with bands like counterparts crystal lake like mods to flames and many more We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast.